few weeks back, I had the opportunity to go home and do a house project for my mom. She lives in the same house my family has lived in since 1971. That's a while back, isn't it? And as you can imagine, a house, a house has its, its projects. But at the end of Bridgeview Drive is a trail. And this is the trail that I often go back and walk. And I, every day, I got up and walked this trail and prayed. This is a trail where I've done a lot of business with God. Asked for a wife. Asked for God's guidance. And uh, the Lord has met me along the way. And it, I have a rich history on this trail. And Dave, go ahead and advance along the way. And, but as, you, as you're walking along this trail, and, uh, you know, I come back and visit periodically. One of the things I notice is these trees that are falling over. See, this, this trail is on this slope. And there are trees that seem strong and mighty. But after a while, due to the winds, due to erosion, due to its, even its own weight, as you can see with some of those trees, they bend over and they actually fall over. And some of them just crash into the canyon. And some of them even cross over the pathway. Go ahead to the next slide, Dave. You can see in this one, you, so this, this, this tree blocked the pathway until, for about a year until somebody came with a, a chainsaw and, and cut it through. But you can see one half of the tree on part of the path, the other part, path of the tree. But you know what's interesting? There is a group of trees that seem to be standing tall and not falling over. And they are the coastal redwoods. And here's what's interesting about these trees. Is that they have a very shallow root system. But they all put out the root system next to each other and are interconnected. They weave and, and intertwine with each other. And because of that, they hold each other up. And I love when I get to that part of the trail. It's at the very end of the trail because it's like my own private cathedral. But it is, it is just a reminder of what God intended for the body of Christ. You can see there a little troll that somebody put out on the trail for some people to find. They're scattered along the trail as well. But that is the, the truth that we point to. Go ahead and advance to the next slide, Dave. See, these trees are all bunched together. They're close together, staying together, and intertwining their, their roots. Whereas there are other large trees that are very majestic, look very strong, but over time, through erosion and through, you know, forces without forces within, they end up falling because they're not rooted with somebody else to hold them up. And so it is in the Christian life. God has planted us in a forest, if you will, to be rooted and grounded to each other, to be interconnected, to be living life together. We call it doing life together in following Christ here. And that's what I want to talk about as I come to the end of our letter through Colossians. There are some, still some remaining verses here to talk about. But it, I want to tell you, it's not just a random laundry list. It's a list of trees that have connected to each other. And I'm, I've titled this The Communion of the Saints because a little bit little later on, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we have 
communion with each other in Christ. Because Christ has entered you. Because Christ has entered me. But it's not just that similar fellowship. It's the that we're doing life together. That we can hold each other up. That we can encourage one another. That we can serve one another. And so if you're a person who likes to take notes, I just want to encourage you to number 1 through 12 here. Because we're going to go through a list of, of people that uh, you know we're going to work that through. So don't try and take notes the first time as I read this through. But we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 verses uh, 7 through 18. And we're reminded that we are called to be interconnected. In fact, there are some trees here that hold up a major tree in the person of the Apostle Paul as he weathers his own storm. So, let's pick it up at verse 7 in chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Remember, Paul is in chains in Rome. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and is servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. And he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend, Luke the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And after this letter has been read to you, see that it also is read in the church of the Laodiceans that you may turn to read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let me pray and then we'll dig into what the Lord has for us. Lord, I thank you that this is just a testimony of your faithfulness to be at work in your people, and even to advance the kingdom of God through weakness, through situations where it seemed like the gospel is not going to survive, and yet you are behind it, the living God. And you are good, you are powerful, and you are gracious. And because of that, we are heirs to this good news. We are heirs in following Christ. So help us to be faithful 
as well. Help us to be your people as you intended. And thank you for this message that was faithfully passed on from one generation to another and to us today because it is a timeless message about a timeless Savior who wants to work for the salvation of men and women, who wants to transform us into men and women who are more like Him. And so we are grateful to be heirs of this inheritance and an inheritance that will come that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And so, Lord Jesus, our great Savior, it's in your name we pray these things. Open the eyes of our hearts today and help us to receive from you. Stir up your Holy Spirit in us and give us eyes to see. Lord, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Again, this is not just a random laundry list. But before I work through these 12 names or these 12 groups of people, I want to remind you of some things that are true that the Apostle Paul expressed in this letter. So don't write down the four things. Just, just listen here. But here's some things that are true about this group that are receiving the letter and they're true about us. That number one, they are rescued out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Is that reaching out of God and drawing us to Himself. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I think I do not know where I would be without Jesus today. Making me an heir of His kingdom. Giving me a totally different citizenship rather than that being based in my American citizenship or part of Minnesota or whatever you have. All those things are nice, but they're fading. But my citizenship in Christ and in His kingdom will never fade. What a great thing to be anchored in. Number two, the truth of this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Chapter 1, verse 29. And again, it's the amazing thing that the living Christ comes to dwell within you through His Holy Spirit to live in you and to empower you to live for His kingdom. And because of that, you're going to appear with Him in glory when He comes. Because Christ is in you. And as that song said, yet not I, but Christ in me. And not only that, I'm just going to take a, a real side note real quickly. Colossians is so full of just rich Christology about who our Lord is. He is the image of the invisible God in fleshly form. He is the one for whom all things were made. They're made for Him, by Him, and through Him. And also, the fact that, again, that same Christ dwells within you and me. It's an amazing thought. Number three, in Christ, you are chosen people, holy, or as we call it today, your saints, and you're dearly loved. In Christ, this is how we are valued. 
You are chosen. God said, I want you. You are holy. He says, I have made you holy because what have I have done on the cross? When I look at you, I see my son Jesus. And you are dearly loved. God did not withhold his son for you to make you his own. That should give us great confidence in his care and his love for us. And how, we value, how he values us and how we should value each other. Do you know you're sitting next to a saint? Your wife may say different, but it's true. In Christ, you are a saint. You are holy. And last of all, kind of along these lines, in Christ there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. In, all are in Christ, and, and Christ is in all. Colossians 3.11 Those earthly distinctions of Race and religion, class, education, economics are not the lens through which we are to see each other. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And there's a great diversity. These are Jews and Gentiles coming together. There's a great diversity in this room. Packers and Viking fans, you know? And yet Christ, Christ is the one common denominator. So there's a communion in the saints. We are in Christ. And now, that union should be lived out among us. So this is how we set things up. This list of people. Here, planted together, and here to hold one another up. So he starts out with a gentleman named Tychicus. And I call him the saint who is servant to the stuck. The saint who is the servant to the stuck. Remember, Paul is stuck in jail. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother. So this is a guy that Paul loves. He is a faithful minister. He is reliable. I've sent him out many times. And he does what I ask him to do. And he is a fellow servant of the Lord. Literally a fellow doulos or a fellow slave. So ultimately, Tychicus is about serving Christ before he's about serving Paul. Which is a great place to be anchored. We need people around us like that. He says, I am sending him to you to, for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He was with Paul going to Macedonia in Acts chapter 20. He was used to, to send a letter to Ephesus, as we read about in Ephesus chapter 6, verse 21. And then Paul had to send him to um, Ephesus again, as we find out in Titus 3.12. But in this situation, he is the mailman. He is the one who brings the letter. And he is the one who explains what's not in the text. Hey, what about this about Paul? Well, let me tell you what's going on. And remember, also, the Colossians are kind of hearing from their spiritual grandfather. Because Paul didn't plant the church in, in Colossae. But Tychicus is the one who expresses, who expresses what's going on. What's happening. He is the one who sent to represent Paul while he's in chains. 
Paul may be in chains, but the gospel is not. And so I ask the question, is there someone that you know is stuck physically, financially, situationally, that you can come alongside of and help do errands for them or do a task for them or represent them? Because they're stuck and they need somebody to come alongside of them. They can't move. And will we be faithful when we say we'll do that? Perhaps that's you. Perhaps God is calling you to be that person who comes alongside somebody who is stuck. We also meet Onesimus, the, the, the saint who is what I call a new creation. Verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything about what's happening here. If you get to the letter of Philemon, you find out who Onesimus really is. He's a runaway slave. He ran away, he ran away from his master, Philemon. Found himself in Rome, came under Paul's ministry, and he puts his faith in Christ. That changes things, doesn't it? Because Philemon is actually a guy who has a house church in Colossae. And now this guy who is his property, so to speak, becomes his brother in Christ. Certainly tests the reality, right? That there is no Jew or Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free in Christ. It's going to challenge see this newly returned slave with new eyes. He is my brother in Christ. In fact, Paul has the audacity to say, I'll tell you what, I want you to actually give him his freedom and view him as a, as a, as a brother in Christ. Formerly, he was just a runaway slave. You found him useless. But now he is useful to you as a brother. Who is it that we are still keeping in the, the categories of their old life? And do we have eyes to see them now in Christ? Who do we see like that? We just kind of... They're just from Wisconsin. They're from California. They're a Democrat. They're a Republican. They work at the Mayo Clinic. Sorry. But we, you know, we put on these earthly things. Do we see them as followers of Jesus Christ? And as my brother and my sister in Christ? A saint. And that might even be you. That might even be you. Maybe you've kept yourself in, in that category. Oh, I'm just... I'm nobody. No, if you are in Christ, you are His masterpiece. You are His saint. And God wants to do so much more in you. Do you see yourself as a new creation in Christ? 
Verse 10. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends greetings to you also. Aristarchus is what I call the stand-by-me saint. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know that he got caught up in the riot in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, 29. So he knows what it's like to be persecuted for Christ. He decides to accompany Paul to Rome. And Paul says he's my fellow prisoner. We don't know whether he was arrested along with Paul. We don't really think so. We think he just said, Paul, I'm, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be incarcerated with you. I'm going to be here with you. Because you're stuck. And you need somebody to just be with you in the midst of this. Everyone else is coming and going. You're sending out people. I'm here. To quote an old movie, I'm not leaving my wingman. That's what he's doing. He said, I am here. Do you need to be a man to somebody who's going through something that's dark? That's hard. And you know what? It's, there's nothing to say. There's nothing to do. It's just that I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm walking alongside you in the midst of this. Or I'm staying alongside you in the midst of this. Who is God calling you to come alongside? Perhaps because they need somebody to stand by them. Maybe, maybe the issue is legal or medical or emotional or personal, but we all need somebody to stand by us. Who might the Lord be calling you to stand beside? Second half of verse 10. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. John Mark, the reconciled and restored saint. If you know the story about John Mark, he goes out on the road with Paul and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who's his cousin. And there along the way there, and then in Acts 13, verse 13, he abandons them. Things get a little tough. He doesn't like this. And he goes back home. So Paul and Barnabas finish out the, the first round of their mission. And they come home and they report and things are you know good. And then it's time to go out again. And Barnabas says, who are we going to take with us? Hey, let's, let's reload John Mark again. And Paul says, uh-uh. Nope. Mm-mm. Not doing that. He bailed on us. No way. And Barnabas and Paul have such a disagreement that they break partnership. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. And they go to Cilicia. And they, the band got broken up. But years later, years later, all of a sudden, something has happened. Where Paul says, I, I have a relationship with him. I've got use for him. He's important to me. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was his memory that, you know, hey, when I was kind of exiled by the church, it was Barnabas that said, come on, let's go. Let's go to Antioch. I don't know what it was. Or maybe it's just the fact that he realized what Christ had done in his life when he was totally his enemy and Christ apprehended him to make him his chosen vessel. 
But he was willing to give John Mark a second chance to be reconciled to him. And is that not part of how we ought to be interacting with one another? Be kind, love one another, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. And then there are times, yeah, we say, hey, you know what? <laughs> not yet. It's not time to, to partner together. But not to keep people in the doghouse forever to the point of, I'm never working with that guy again. I'm never working with that girl again. No, and in fact, at the very end, you read in Second Timothy, he's calling for John Mark to come and come alongside of him. So there's a restoration between Paul and John Mark. Who do you need to be restored to? Who are you keeping in the doghouse? They say, I'm never working with that person. I'm never interacting with that person. Maybe you need to be praying about what God wants to do in restoring that relationship. That you might be reconciled. Because is that not the gospel? Christ came that we might be reconciled to Him and reconciled to each other. Is it hard? Absolutely. Is it challenging? You bet. But yet not I, but Christ in me doing that work. That's what God wants to do. Then you've got a man named Jesus who is called Justice, also sends greeting. I call Jesus, called Justice, a similar background saint. He says in verse 11, these are the only Jews among, uh, excuse me, these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They have proved to be a comfort to me. They are the only, literally, circumcision among my co-workers. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But let's just acknowledge the elephant in the room. We are really uncomfortable with calling somebody Jesus. Aren't we? Until you like meet like a Hispanic baseball player. It's like, oh, really? Okay. But let's, let's also just realize that Jesus was a Greek version of Joshua. But a lot of people who, you know, were named Joshua in that time, and, you know, our Lord was not the only one who was named Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. But it was a common Greek uh, name, and, and also, you know, Jews oftentimes would adopt a, a Greek name. Um, but more importantly, uh, Justice or Jesus and John Mark were part of a group called the Circumcision. They grew up keeping the Mosaic Law just like Paul or Saul did. And it's always a comfort to kind of find somebody who has a similar background to you. I mean, it's interesting. When I find out somebody who's from California... Sometimes I find we have a lot in common, or, or I find out somebody who has been working in camp ministry, you find out a lot of common, or even just a strong youth group. I, one of the things that actually drew me to Neil is we have very similar backgrounds in the youth group and the blessing that we receive from that. So we have categories for things like, yeah, yeah, I get that. And so th- I think that brought comfort to, to Paul. But again, they're Jewish believers. They followed a Jewish Messiah, and it's probable that they followed a Jewish dietary law. Now let's, 
you know, if we go back to our church history, this is a major issue as the gospel is spreading. We get to Acts chapter 15, and there's a, there's a dispute. Hey, do these new Gentile believers, do they need to follow the law? And at the end of the day, they say, no, it's by faith in Christ alone. We're not we're required to them to do this. But you know what happens? Even though the church declares this, it still happens. There's still Jewish Christians, or maybe they weren't Christians, false teachers coming out and saying, hey, if you want to follow Jesus fully, you need to keep the law. And this is part of what was happening in Colossae. There are some false teachers saying, that we're including some parts of the Mosaic law, that's kind of going, hey, you need to do this. It's like, uh-uh. No. These are just a former shadow of what Christ has completed but these men, both John Mark and Jesus called Justice, even though that's probably how they live, they're saying, no, we're not requiring that. We're not requiring that of, of, these, of these Gentile Christians. Because we know the Savior is Christ. And yeah, I've got to follow Jesus according to my conscience. But I'm not going to put that on somebody else. You know, if we sat down and, and put down our convictions about certain things that, of our lifestyle, they might not match up completely. Some people have permission to drink a beer. I know that's shocking, but they do. And some people don't. Some people have permission to dance. Some people don't. Some people have permission to perhaps engage in certain cultural things. Some people don't. But we need to make sure we're not projecting our, our convictions onto somebody else. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Look, they brought me comfort. We have so much in common, and that's great. But I also see that they're not projecting this onto these new Gentile believers. What a great thing. And the gospel is not being hindered, whereas the false teachers are. They are doing this. Is there somebody who you're in contact with that you have a similar background that encourages you? And again, yet their convictions are not, not being uh, foisted on others. Epaphras. Verse 12. Epaphras, the hardworking prayer warrior saint. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. We met Epaphras in chapter 1. He planted the church in Colossae. He planted the church in Hierapolis. He planted the church in Laodicea, which is a, about a 10-mile circuit in that area. But he says, he is wrestling, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras, most likely heard the gospel in Ephesus and brought it eastward to Colossae, to Hierapolis, to Laodicea. And he was one of them. He was a local. But he knew how to reach his contemporary Colossians. He knew how to bring it to them in a way that they got it. And by the way, you know, that's a major strategy in sharing the, uh, in missions. A missionary goes there and they bring the gospel, but eventually they want to raise up the local people 
to minister to those who are around them. So it's not a, an American church, or it's not an English church, or a Western church. It's the church that God is growing right there. And that's the beauty of what Epaphras brought. Again, he is a prayer warrior. He says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras knows, hey, you know what? The devil comes back. He comes back to say, do you really want to follow this Jesus? Do you really think he saves you versus Zeus or all these other gods? Do you really want to follow him? That seems awful constricting not to, not to follow the local gods. He knows the devil is at work. He's trying to take background. And so he's on his knees praying in warfare. What saint, what group of saints, what pastor, what missionary are you praying for? The devil's trying to claw back ground. I think of the Cossies, who were just with us a few weeks ago. You know, it'd be really easy for them to get discouraged because they lost some of their support. I think of our sister Emily, who's going to be with us this fall. It's tough. It's tough being a Christian in the Middle East. You know, I think about Justin and Jamie getting ready to go to Thailand. Let's be praying for them. Be praying for your pastors. This has not been an easy season as we get ready for a new year. Satan is always trying to claw back ground. Be a prayer warrior for them. Be on your knees. And sometimes you say, is that all you can do is pray? (laughs) Paul says, "Look, look, this is hard work. He says in verse 13, I vouch for him that he's working hard for you, for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's not just goofing off. He's on his knees for this, for this body. Who are you praying for to stand? Who are you praying for to stand in the midst of Satan attacking them? Again. Number seven. Dr. Luke, the attentive saint. Verse 14. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, sends greetings. This is the only time, by the way, in the New Testament where it's mentioned that he's actually a physician or a doctor. And he's mentioned as a co-worker in Philemon, verse 24. But he's, he's alongside Paul. He's in Rome with him. Was he taking care of him? Was he his personal physician? We don't know. We don't know. If he was, it was a minister of grace and healing. And I want to say to you who are involved in medical care and health care, you have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring healing to people who need it. And I want to remind you of that because sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in all the other garbage. Whether it's, will insurance cover this? Is my administration supporting me? Remember who you are in that place of being part of um, health care. But here's also something I want to call your attention to. While Paul may be attending to uh, Paul as far as medical stuff, he was also attentive to 
tale. Let's face it, if we did not have Luke, we would be missing a major narrative section of what happens in the New Testament. He writes the whole Gospel of Luke, by the way, which is the longest Greek manuscript in the New Testament, whether you knew that or not. Don't count the, don't count the chapters, count the, the letters. It's the longest. And second of all, he writes also the Acts of the Apostles, or really the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? What God is doing. But he does it through careful research. He does it because he attended alongside of Paul, and he's attentive to detail. And I'm so grateful for those of you who are really good at that, who are really good at being attentive to detail. I need that on my elder board. And I send out, say, hey guys, what about this letter? Well, okay, first of all, you missed this word. There's a typo here. And I appreciate that. And it helps me get those things right. But sometimes it's just remembering where have we been and where are we going forward, right? See, if we don't have Acts 15, it's really easy to go back to, well, yeah, I, I think it's right that the Gentiles would, would follow the law. No. That's not what the Holy Spirit was doing. That's not what we decided. We need to have a record of that. He paid attention to detail with that. In the same way as us as a church. Maybe God has called you to be that detail person. To help us remember and help us to move forward. Demas, the distracted, or what I call the disappointed or disappointing saint. Demas sends greetings. Now here's the truth. We doesn't happen here, but in 2 Timothy, Demas, who is alongside of Paul, he bails on Paul. He goes to Thessalonica because he's in love with this world. It's a sad commentary. And hey, I, I'm no one to judge. But here's the thing that we need to keep in mind. I don't think his decision to bail was a one-time decision. I don't think just something hit him. I think it was multiple little choices about what do I value? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? Jesus says, if any man, any woman come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That is, that is what Jesus says. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. But little by little, sometimes we start taking back parts of our life. Well, that, that, that area is mine. Or I need this in order to live the Christian life. Or live life, period. And all of a sudden, we've been singing, I surrender all, and suddenly it's, I surrender some. We sing, take my life and let it be. And then we sing, take my life, now let me be. See, we're slowly taking things back. My house, my stuff, my comfort. We stop letting Jesus own it all. And the Apostle James talks about this as far as just relationship to the world and relationship to Christ. He says in chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, we don't know where Demas ended up. We don't know if he repented. We don't know what happened. But his life was not heading toward a good trajectory. And I asked the question, are you like Demas, flirting with this world? Where you're kind of slowly taking things back. At one time, it's like, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything you will say. But now it's, well, I need this. And I need this. And if that doesn't happen, I'm not sure I'm going to follow you anymore. Are we heading towards a distracted discipleship? Nympha, the hospitable saint. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Like so many churches started, it started in somebody's house. There was no room at the synagogue. There was no room at the public hall. What? We need some place to meet? Come to my house. Come on over. I've got, I've got room. I'll make room. I'll make room. It's a generosity of spirit and hospitality. It's not always easy. You've got to prepare for people to come over, to clean up. You may be serving food and make space for people. But some of you, and I love, I love seeing this, have the gift of hospitality. And it is a beautiful thing. You share your homes, you share your food, you share your lives you create a place to commune in the body for us to have fellowship with the saints. And it breathes life into others. Nympha is one of those people that holds others up. And then, verse 15 and 16, but I'm just going to read 16. Colossae and Laodicea, sharing God's word among the saints. Verse 16, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you turn and read the letter from Laodicea. Two letters were sent. We only have one of them. One to Colossae, one to Laodicea. But they said, hey, after you've read this, bring this over here and let them read it. But the truth is, One's addressed to Laodicea, one's addressed to Colossae. And it'd be really easy to say, well, wait a minute, that's addressed to us. That's our mail. Even though they're, they're commanded to share this. And that's a general attitude. Do we have an attitude of what God has given me, I'm going to share, or I'm going to keep to myself? What God has given you, has He given it to you to share? or to keep to yourself. In this case, it was a letter. But isn't that the nature of the Word of God? Isn't that the nature of the Gospel? It's not to keep to ourselves. It's to share. It's to bring to people because people desperately need to hear it. And that can apply to our cars, to our houses, to our possessions, what have you. But particularly, the Word of God and the Gospel. We've been entrusted with it. Are we going to share it? others. And Archippus, the commissioned saint, 
Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. We don't know exactly what this is. Some sort of ministry, probably to the church of Colossae that met in Philemon's house, as you read in chapter, uh, verses 4, 2 through 4 in, in the letter to Philemon. But he's been commissioned with something. But he needed accountability. So much so that he got called out. Can you imagine that? Make sure Neil gets this done. Right? Everyone's going, did you do that? But that's because God had called Archippus to do that. That's because he needed somebody to hold him accountable. And maybe you have a sense of God has called you to do something. It might be a one-time interaction to go to somebody. It might be an ongoing thing to invest yourself, call to start a whole new ministry venture, serving Him. And you're dragging your feet. And maybe you need to find someone and say, you know what, I need you to hold me accountable to this. I know God is calling me to do this, and I don't want to do it. I'm kind of dreading the effort. I'm kind of dreading what it's going to go through. I'm dreading what might happen. But I know God is calling me to do this. Maybe you need somebody to come alongside of you and help you complete it. And that is part of the, the communion of the saints also, right? To spur one another on to love and good deeds, to be iron sharpening iron, and hold our feet to the fire sometimes in love. And it's our roots holding each other up. And verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting on my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul, the imprisoned saint from which the grace of Christ was unshackled. Yes, it's Paul saying, yeah, this is my own handwriting. It's my signature. It's authentic. It really is from me. But it's also Paul saying, hey, remember me. Remember what's going on here. Because, you know, sometimes we look at our leaders and we think they're bulletproof in their faith, and they are not. If you read what happens to Paul in, in 2 Timothy, you can see the humanity of him. But he still has his hope in Christ. And in the big picture, Paul was the mo- most prolific missionary and impactful person for the gospel in the first century. Hands down. Yet God in His wisdom allows him to be locked up to write the letter to the Ephesians, to write the letter to the Philippians, to write the letter to the Colossians, to write the letter to Philemon, to write the letter of Second Timothy. Where he was held captive, and God says, now write, and I'll unleash it. Contrary to our thinking, for certain, contrary to our wisdom, Paul was in prison, but it didn't stop the gospel. Rather, it fanned it into flame. And it brought definitions to grace and Christ in the gospel that we would be so much poorer for if we did not have them. That again, this never would have happened if it weren't for the interaction of these believers who were the roots holding Paul up, who were encouraging him, who were his messengers, who were serving him, who were cooperating with him. These letters of grace that goes out to the church, they go out to us today. All because of these saints 
who communed with Paul in this time. I don't know about you, but it, it humbles me. Because sometimes I want to complain. I want to complain about my circumstances. And, but do I have Christ and do I have His body coming around me? Let me leave you with this blessing. May the grace of Christ, the Christ in you, in each one of us, may it cause us to intertwine our roots to hold each other up, to be that community of the saints. And may He do what He did in Paul's life in our lives. Because Christ is in us. And now that you have Pastor Nathan Brand back, you realize he preaches way too long. 